thank you and welcome to all of our new supporters on Patreon. This is an independently produced show, written, researched, produced, edited, distributed, and promoted by us, Carolyn, Kristen, and Michelle, and paid for out of our own pockets because it's important to us. But you can help us pay the bills by clicking the Patreon link on our website, poppreservationist.com, or by going to our link in bio on Instagram and finding the Patreon link in our link tree. It's one of the best ways for you to tell us that you like what you hear, so we can keep on trucking. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Welcome to our encore presentation of 1976, From Pet Rocks to Patriotism. And I think one of the biggest things I remember about this episode, you guys, is that we had so much material, I think we left half of it on the cutting room floor. There was so much that we were excited to talk about. That we couldn't include even right. half of it. Right. right. It was a big year. It was a, There was a lot going on. And the one, I don't know why this is so important to me, because there are a lot bigger things that, I shouldn't say bigger things, That's because it involves somebody dying. But a oh. thing that sticks out to me is the death of Anissa Jones, who played Buffy oh, right. on Little Family Buffy. Affair. Is that, yes. Yeah. She was only 18 years old. And my mom, oh, God, I in true this. fashion, told me that she got hit by a car. <laughs> she did not get hit by a car. She didn't want you to know Mm-mm. about the drugs. Mm-mm. She oh. didn't want me to know about the DRUGSs. Mm-mm. And I remember, in, I, I don't know why she even told me, actually. Maybe I heard about it, and then she was like, oh, yeah, hit by a car. Um, and I remember this picture I had of Buffy in her tiny little dress and her Buffy oh. tails, but she had oh. really, really long legs because she was a teenager and just getting sideswiped by a car. Oh, oh that's what gosh. you thought in your mind? Oh, yes. Like Absolutely. Elf like elf when he gets hit, or like Buddy the yes. Elf when he gets hit by the taxi? <laughs> just oh, like, That's boom. exactly what I pictured. Oh, R.I.P. Anissa Jones. I don't mean to make fun, I know. but no, no, I mean, no. why did she pick hit by a car? And that's right. traumatic. That's, I know. And what weird. happens, what if you were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And it was the final <gasps> oh question. And one of the choices was hit by a car or drug overdose. And drug you're overdose. Like, hit by a car. I don't even need to use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to fall I know this. I don't need a lifeline. I know. Yeah. She got hit by yeah. a car. Uh-huh. Yeah, your mom would feel bad then, wouldn't she? I'm going to yeah. lose a million dollars because my mom lied to me. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, my um, gosh. Yeah, two of the things I wanted to talk about um, were both actually sports related. So one was... Did you all know that May 11th, 1976, the first woman, Janet Guthrie, competed in the Indianapolis 500? No, I wow. didn't know that. Isn't that interesting? And when I saw hmm. her name, I was like, yeah, I remember that. The sad I do thing remember was, that name. Yeah, her car, it kind of um, had some mechanical difficulties and she had to um, get off the course oh, after nuts. seven laps. So she didn't oh, get to that finish. Is sad. But I remembered that name and I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yay, um, women. Yay. And um, speaking of women, another um, name that rung a bell was Dr. Renee Richards. So Dr. Renee Richards wanted to compete as a woman on the USTA circuit. She'd had her sex reassignment surgery, and um, she wanted to compete mm-hmm. in local tournaments, national tournaments. As a female? As a female. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And up until that point, she had been doing a little, you know, she she was a female. She identified female. She People mm-hmm. knew her as Dr. Renee Richards. Um, but she was outed by a <gasps> oh journalist. Yep. 
And this is kind of sad. In 1976, her gender reassignment surgery was outed by local TV anchor Richard Carlson. Yes, the father of Tucker Carlson. <gasps> what? Whoa. I know. Can oh, you believe that? Oh, my God. But, yes, yeah, so what happened then, now that this information was out there, the USTA began requiring genetic screening for female players. Oh, and God she God. challenged that policy, and the New York Supreme Court ruled in her favor. Mm-hmm. And it was a landmark case in transgender rights. She went on to compete on the, in the USTA in tournaments. Um, she actually coached Martina Navratilova for a while. Um, and she was recognized as Dr. Renee Richards. And I just remember... When it was kind of a big deal on the news and in the media, uh, my mom explaining this to me, or trying to, and you can mm-hmm. imagine in the mid-70s, we yeah, no didn't have the right language for this, and trying to wrap my head around, okay, you were male and now you're female, and realizing what how groundbreaking that was in the mm-hmm. 70s and what this mm-hmm. poor woman had to go through. And ironically, this is the same year that we have Bruce Jenner winning the decathlon Isn't right. and the right. Summer Olympics. Yes. So and then 40 diff- years later, yes. he does the same thing. But 40 years. Yes, 40 years. Wow. And this is still a topic of controversy, as we know, in athletics, right, the high school right. level and the yeah. college level. Um, it's still an issue, and we're still learning. So I just thought those were two interesting mm-hmm. facts about female power. Well, and imagine how Caitlyn Jenner must have been watching that case at the time, because yes. she has said numerous times that while she competed in the decathlon, she was a woman. What? Right? right? Like there was this, there was mm-hmm. this image that she was trying to project as this you know, testosterone male, and it yes. wasn't true. I just remember being really surprised by how much I learned from this episode, this 1976 episode. Things I had never connected before. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. because I was seven at the time or just I didn't connect them at the time. And then all these decades have gone by and you know a lot. I knew a lot of these things, but I wasn't all connecting them all to that one year. I couldn't believe how much happened in that one year. Like it was a big year. A, a, just a few examples. I didn't know about Jesse Jackson asking people to boycott the bicentennial celebrations, which is pretty newsworthy. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, And I was blown away learning that one of my favorite songs, still to this day, was recorded in 1976 and not in like the early 60s like I'd always thought it was. (laughs) Always, until we recorded this episode. Listeners, I'm not going to spoil it because listen to this episode and you'll see what it is. But until that day that we recorded, basically, I thought, or until I was researching that episode, I thought that song, which I love, it's on all my playlists, um was a song from the 60s. It was like um, a doo-wop song from the 60s. Yeah, and, and it was another a huge song. hit in 1976. Yes, because that's when mm-hmm. it was recorded. And another yeah. song that I loved, and I sang a lot, because it's a very funny <laughs> song, I learned from this episode was actually a protest song originally. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm right. not going to spoil that one either. We're being so cryptic. We yeah. are, but but it's good. <laughs> I have if, no I idea. To, if I told you right now, that's just like giving it away. Right. Um, and then my favorite part of this episode, though, um, was all the toys and all the TV yeah. shows. And I was floored by how many popular toys and TV shows all originated in that one year. Like yeah. that was a year for television mm-hmm. and a year for toys. And again, so when you listen to this episode, um, I think you will also be surprised at how many really awesome toys and how many fantastic TV shows 
I mean, it's right in the title from from pet rocks to patriotism. That's that right. And it right just was there. like, what a powerhouse year. And so um, mm-hmm. I loved this episode. I was lucky to be alive in 1976. Mm-hmm. It was a good year. All right. Should we let them listen? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So please enjoy this encore presentation of 1976 from pet rocks to patriotism. Can you imagine hearing those lyrics and then Dan Rather coming back saying, Welcome back to our all-day coverage of the nation's 200th birthday. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who knew that the box of 64 was better than 48, but still made do with 24. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the year that lit up the sky with patriotic celebrations, Olympic glory, and the most famous red swimsuit in history, 1976. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. So if you guys asked me to name one memory from 1976, it would be this. I open the door to step outside. And on the doormat is a dead squirrel with no head. It's a headless what? squirrel. What? I know. I know. And this was not an unusual thing at my house. What? And you know what? <laughs> I Oh, I know. Okay. So it was my cat. My cat liked to go catch things and eat their heads off and then would leave it on our doorstep so that we would be proud of him. And so on this day in 1976, I see the headless squirrel and I don't even care. I'm not even scared. I'm not even mad at the stupid cat for leaving me this special gift that he likes to leave us. And normally I would see the headless squirrel and then I would screech and I would refuse to go to school because I can't, I can't cross the threshold because there's a headless squirrel on it. It was super stressful. But not today, motherfuckers. (laughs) Can we bleep? Can we bleep? Because God bless America, today is the goddamn bicentennial. And it's like the best day of my whole life. I've got a flag to wave. That's right. I've got a bomb pop to eat. Yeah, I I was excited about the bicentennial. I can't say that I was that excited. Your enthusiasm is quite it's admirable. Hard to, to beat. Yeah, it really, it really is. Um, I mean, I do remember it the whole school year like January 76 until the Mm -hmm. end of the year being very patriotic. And we did have a colonial America day and my mom sewed me this gosh, authentic (gasps) colonial outfit. Did you have the little, the little um, duster hat? Yes. I had a little cap and I was a woman. So I I had like, it was like a bonnet and I had the dress and an apron. And perhaps this is where my love of Williamsburg and my thought of, when I retire, I want to go to Williamsburg and be one of the little actresses that reenact. You'd be the, really the good at that. Like carrying my little basket. But I love that outfit. <laughs> Wait, there's bread in the basket though, right? Yes, because I'm is, going to the bread bakery. Lady? Yeah. Probably so get some, a snack. Yeah. Carolyn has thought about this a lot. Oh, Carolyn, yes. I think you've showed, showed a picture to us of that outfit. Actually, that was even earlier. That was when oh. I was in kindergarten, <laughs> that outfit, um, when I was Betsy Ross in the school oh. play. And, You've had um, a long, 
a long-term love affair with colonial America. I don't have any real specific, specific memories of 1976. And like you guys do have like the 4th of July, even, um, because I was six turning seven in 1976. So I was in first and then second grade. Um, I'm imagining in the 4th of July, I was, we spent the month of July at my dad's house, um, in a little tiny, um, one stoplight tumbleweed town in Texas called Woodson. Um, so most of my memories of 1976 are tied to toys and TV shows and playing with friends, making up dances, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't really have So you didn't do, memories. you don't have a specific bicentennial July 4th Mm-mm. bison, you Mm-mm. didn't have a celebration I mean, in your town or anything? No. Well, no, because we would have been in Woodson, which was very, very tiny. Maybe we would always go to this thing called the Fandangle. So maybe they mm-hmm. did a, spe- that was a really big gathering of um, a lot of like, almost like an outdoor wagon wheel country musical mm-hmm. type thing. Um, I met Lady Bird Johnson there. Maybe that was the year oh, I met Lady Bird Johnson. Lady Bird. She rode in the little tiny train thing with us. Um, oh, wow. But no, I mean, other than, you know, my sister and my daddy and I always used to blow up fire uh, anthills with firecrackers. So maybe we blew up a Ooh. couple extra anthills. <laughs> so this is very interesting because there was no federal celebration of the bicentennial because they deemed that it would be too expensive. So they encouraged local celebrations instead, because that would foster more of a small town vibe. And that's really what they were trying to get people to do more of an an Americana kind of feel. And I didn't live in a small town. I lived in a city neighborhood, but city neighborhoods oftentimes feel like their own contained small town. Um, And my small town was on fire and it definitely felt like Mayberry that day. It was the whole neighborhood celebration did feel like Mayberry. It was a small town that day. Wow. I was trying to think of what kind of celebration we had. I lived in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, so definitely not small town. And I didn't remember any parades or anything like that. But my sister and I both have the same distinct memory, and it involves our yellow and green um, shag carpeting because we were both sitting on that in front of the TV watching the tall ships. Yes. Going down the Hudson River. I remember that. Yes. Well, that was actually this huge event called Operation Sail. And it had hundreds of these tall, majestic ships that came from all over the world and floated down the Hudson River. And my dad Mm -hmm. is a nautical buff. He loves, he was in the Navy and he loves ships. And so, and then he and my mom are from New York. So this was must-see TV for us. We were plunked in front of it. And that is the... Uh, memory I have that mm-hmm. event. And then my sister and I both remember my dad had purchased, um, my, he had told my mom, if I die tomorrow, I would be really happy if you let me buy this. And it was a quadraphonic stereo, which was a really big deal in the mid seventies. It had these four speakers. And so my dad put the four speakers on the living or the family room, that carpet, and you would sit in the middle. And then he played his album from the, um, <laughs> Air Force marching band. <laughs> and um, he played that song like dun 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 dun
jets flying over our heads. And so my vision of 4th of July is the tall ships and my dad with this anticipatory look on his face as we <laughs> yeah. sat plunked between these four, at the time seemed like giant speakers um, on our floor. I mean, who put speakers on their floor and sitting in the middle and he would just be waiting for those jets to fly yeah. over and be like, okay, that is your, adorable. Yeah, did your hair blow? Story. Did you hear it? Yes. And the speakers were probably like 15 inches tall. I know. Okay, that really, that that's one of the questions that I have because I, most of the time when we have patriotic celebrations, they are some, they're sort of a celebration of the military. I do not remember any military celebration in 1976. It was all Mayberry. It was, I don't remember anything on TV, in the news, certainly not in my little neighborhood celebration. I mean, maybe they had the guys walk down the streets with the flags, but even that was dicey in 1976. That was not what people were looking for in 1976. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I don't really, that doesn't come into my memory at all. The only other thing that does, and I want to ask Martha, I'm feeling she might have been glued in front of her TV, but Bob Hope had his bicentennial star spangled spectacular. And that featured Sammy Davis Jr., Debbie Reynolds, Captain and Tennille, and Donnie and Marie. Oh Uh, my goodness. I know. Can that you, is a star-studded mm-hmm. bicentennial yes, star-spangled cast. spectacular. Sure was. Yeah. I feel like there was sort of an indoctrination that has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it this way, that they were trying to amp us up for what was coming, for whatever celebrations we were going to be taking part in. And so if you think about Schoolhouse Rock, that whole 1976 season was the America uh-huh. Rock era mm-hmm. that had to be on purpose. And so um, it started, America Rock started at the end of 1975 with No More Kings, The Shot Heard Around the World, and the preamble, we the people in order to form a more perfect yeah, we've, union. We've yep. already covered that. Girl. Right. <laughs> Followed fun, at the beginning of 1976 with I'm Just a Bill, The Great American Melting Pot, Elbow Room, which is about the westward expansion, aka stealing Native people's lands. Um, and finally, Fireworks, there's gonna be fireworks fireworks celebrating and that was about celebrating the bicentennial and that was released just prior to july 4th so that for six months they were amping us children up on the carpeting in front of the tv on saturday mornings so a lot of the information we are going to share today comes from a great podcast for us gen xers called for the record the 70s hosted by amy lively who by the way you guys is another podcaster i want to read me bedtime stories. I know. Her voice is, Her voice is lovely. Butter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy is a high school U.S. history teacher who is also a big music nerd, especially for the music of the 70s. So her episodes examine the intersection of the songs we love with the things that were happening in the world at the time. And friends listening, if you like what you hear today, you can go even deeper by listening to her episode episode called The Spirit of 76. You can find it exclusively on Spotify or at FTR70.com. Um, it's such a great podcast oh, it's, and yes. it's just so Phenomenal. very interesting and informative and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. She's my new favorite historian. Everybody's got to have mm-hmm. a favorite historian, right? Right. So Amy Lively's my, she's my favorite historian and her episodes are chock full of juicy tidbits that will make you go, huh? 
I did not know that. And here's the perfect example. So while I was all hopped up on bomb pops on the bicentennial, there were a lot of people who were not excited about the bicentennial. Jesse Jackson, this was probably the first time Jesse Jackson came into our memories. Jesse Jackson was asking people to boycott the bicentennial because he said people of color were not, were not yet free. Um, and there were some who celebrated the Battle of Little Bighorn instead, which is also known as Custer's Last Stand. Mm. That's where the Lakota, the Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho tribes combined forces to defeat U.S. forces. And, and 1976 would have been the hundredth, the 100th anniversary oh, wow. of the Battle of Little Bighorn. I did not know any of this. Well, think about it. At, I mean, Carolyn, what grade were you in? Four? I was in fifth. Okay. So they, they, you might have been learning about that. I'm going to keep going back to what our teachers were teaching us. You know, in first and second grade, they weren't teaching us about, about the Battle of Little Bighorn. Anything bad. Anything like that yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And, and also we've talked about this before. It is such a shame almost how sheltered we were. You know, Mm -hmm. we weren't even being taught necessarily, you know, if they would have, if, if, in first and second and third and fourth grade, if someone would have tried to explain to us the the reasoning behind Jesse Jackson boycotting, mm-hmm. one, we probably wouldn't have really understood because that wasn't widely discussed. No. Really. No. I mean, at least in my family, we didn't have these lovely open discussions. So I'm just thinking also, I'm going to assume teachers shied away from that kind of discussion. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if people were having fun planning their bicentennial celebration, they'd be like, don't rain on my parade. Exactly. Dude. Right. Right. Okay. So the accidental theme song of the bicentennial was Afternoon Delight, <laughs> which was as far from a protest song as you could possibly get. You guys, I cannot get over this <laughs> because believe it or not, Afternoon Delight by the Starland Vocal Band was the theme song played throughout CBS's all-day coverage of the Bicentennial, hosted by Dan Rather. So all day long, you could be hearing, um, gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. Oh my God! And Dan then, Rather. And then you get that, the, yes. like you get the sound effects of the skyrockets oh, and flying. That's no, the only, no. th- yes, you've got the stuff. That's the only connection, I think. And then, so you, can you imagine hearing those lyrics and then Dan Rather coming back saying, welcome back to our all day coverage of the nation's 200th birthday. I've got to believe there is some former CBS intern somewhere laughing that his or her joke idea (laughs) for Afternoon Delight being the theme song made it all the way through. (laughs) And you guys, I got to tell you, because as all of our listeners know, and you all know, I can't just leave it at that. I got to go do some deep dives about Afternoon Delight. There's a rabbit hole to be sure. Oh, wait, can I say before, though? Oh, sure. It's a, it, there's the skyrockets in flight, but we'll talk about this little this a little bit more. Is I think people really wanted to be unserious, and afternoon delight, whether you're listening to the words or not, just sounds incredibly silly and unserious. Well, one, it was already it hadn't hit number one yet. It was a popular song, but the week after the um, all day long coverage with the theme song playing, it actually hit number one on the Billboard chart. Not sure if there's a correlation between between that and hitting number one, but um, good to note. Mm -hmm. The songwriter actually um, took the title Afternoon Delight from the name of a happy hour menu at a bar he frequented. So it wasn't until that song got into our minds and into popular culture that the idea of making it about sex was even 
a thing. So, okay. So do you mean that? So I thought after I learned about it, that afternoon delight was referring to Nookie in the afternoon. Does, did we take that from the song? Yes. Or did the song. Okay. The song. So the song created. The song created <gasps> that um, oh. definition of afternoon sex, which I guess was not really a thing because he talks about it usually happening at night, but let's With go the and get some during the day. But it's a, it was a menu item at a cafe. It was the so name. So when he says, gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab gonna some, have afternoon some afternoon delight. It's almost delight. as if you could substitute that with, gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab a double cheeseburger. It, Basically. Yeah. yeah because uh-huh. that's, mm-hmm. that can't be. It, it so perfectly <laughs> means afternoon. Well, it night. does. And that's what he meant it to mean. I think he loved the, um, the phrase afternoon delight and that made him think of oh what else can an wink, afternoon wink. delight yeah. be right so he just chuckle, made it, he did like a play on that word yeah play on those words exactly yes. and speaking of words you guys i was blown away i learned this yesterday so because of the success of the song cbs actually gave the starlight the starling vocal band a variety series Oh, I remember this. I was all there. You mm-hmm. get a variety series. Yes. You get a variety series. Yep. Yes. You get a variety They've never done anything else, but you can <laughs> have your right. own TV show. So I was watching clips from it yesterday. Oh my and God. there's a clip of them singing, like in front of some river or whatever. You guys, there is a line that I've said wrong forever. Talk about misheard lyrics. I'm thinking, though, that maybe for the radio, they change this. And this is why, because I saw this lyric this lyric written two different ways, but when I watch them move their lips, this is what they say. Rubbing sticks and stones together, making sparks ignite, and the thought of rubbing you is getting so exciting. Rubbing sticks and stones together, making sparks ignite, and the thought of rubbing you is getting so exciting. What? what? Not loving? Not, Not loving you? Nope. I'll oh, put a link to this. Well, clip. we're rubbing sticks and stones together. We're like, we're like the, oh, this yes. is, where's the English teacher to help us with the metaphors? I know. So when I saw their lips Wait, you moving. you need help with that metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe it. I was in shock. So I went back and watched it a few times and I'm doing my research. What are the lyrics? And so I don't know if maybe for some radio stations in the Bible Belt, you couldn't say rubbing you. So you had to change it to loving you. Um, because that's when you go to look up their lyrics, what does it say? Does it say I've, loving you? It's been both ways. I found them You've both seen ways. Both. Yes. Of course, they won Grammy that year for best new artist and then they never had a hit again. Well, speaking of music and crazy, silly songs, what else yeah. was out there? A lot of the music from 1976 fell into the silly category, kind of like fluffy and unserious. And I've always wondered, WTF with Muskrat Love. Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug out in Muskrat Land and a shimmy. Not that I didn't love that song. I loved it. But what the hell with the muskrats? Like, did somebody say, Mm -hmm. I've got a super idea about a song about muskrats? What do you guys (laughs) think? I mean, yeah, they what's kind a of muskrat? Did, right? I don't even know they what a did? muskrat is. Yeah, they did, right? It's like okay, a badger, so right? Song, I have actually some, I have, it is a little bit. Yeah, it's like a little woodsy creature. Okay. Gnaws on wood. Um, yeah, so the song, you guys, was originally titled Muskrat Candlelight, and it was written and recorded <laughs> in 1972 by Willis Allen Ramsey. And it does indeed... Oh. 
describe a romantic liaison between two muskrats named Susie and Sam. Muskrat Susie, muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug. Right, okay, so did you know, though, that in 1973, the band America recorded a cover of it? Muskrat, muskrat, does not match at all. That makes no sense. They changed the name. They're the ones who changed the name to Muskrat Love, and their version reached number 67 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Okay. And then along comes Tony Tennille. So when Tony Tennille heard America's cover, she said to the captain... (laughs) Do you think she called him the captain? Do you think she called the girl the captain? Okay. So she said, Captain, are they singing about muskrats? This is hysterical. (laughs) And... They were like, we need these lyrics. We need to know this song. So they went out the next day. They found the lyrics. They found the sheet music, and they added it to their club act. And the audiences went nuts. So then and when they were one track short for their 1976 debut album, which was called Songs of Joy, they added it. They added Muskrat Love to it. They're like, we need one more song. This has been real a big crowd favorite. Also, this is funny. I don't know if you guys remember this in their version, but the captain, um, he has um, synthesizer-generated sound effects, which oh, are supposed yes. to simulate muskrats mating. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, oh wait. You just blew my mind because I was like... So starts to giggle. And I thought it was just like muskrats talking. Oh, I didn't know they were sorry. Like oh, little Kristen. Oh. You know what? Oh. <laughs> Little Kristen, put your earmuffs on. It's okay. I know. Earmuffs. Um, Muskrat home. Yeah, so that song, so their version, Captain and Tennille's version, made it to number four on the Hot 100 chart, even though people have very definite opinions on its greatness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a really fun, funny fact, you guys. When Queen Elizabeth visited the White House in 1976 for the oh, Bicentennial, good. Captain and Tennille weirdly chose to sing Muskrat Love oh, for the Queen. <laughs> Of all their that songs. It's so 1976. Oh. I can't even stand it. Like, we can just end this episode right now. That's it. That's it's all, folks. Because you know everything yes. you need to know about 1976. Right. Now. And one guest said it was in very poor taste to sing of mating muskrats before oh the queen. God. And Tony Tennille said, only a person with a dirty mind would see something wrong. It's Disney-esque, to which I will challenge Tony Tennille <laughs> by saying, reminding her of these lyrics. Now he's tickling her fancy, rubbing her toes, muzzle to muzzle. Now anything goes as they wriggle. Sue starts to giggle. <laughs> this is worse yeah, than that's the Disney-esque. thought of rubbing you is getting me so excited. Apparently that's Disney-esque to Tony Tennille. So, I mean, wow. so that tells us a, that tells us everything we need to know about, uh, Tony and the captain's um, <laughs> night night time. Was the, maybe those were his little sounds that he makes at night. Gosh, I've got to mm-hmm. go see if there's a clip on YouTube like, of the queen's <laughs> the queen's reaction <laughs> to yes. them singing that song. Yeah. What is a muskrat? Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, another song that Amy Lively talks about in For the Record, the seventies. Did I say that correctly? For the record, the 70s. Yes. In her mm-hmm. 1976 episode is the song December 1963 by Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, which reached number one in March of 1976. Oh, what a night. Late December back in 63. What a very special time for me. As I remember. 
1976, we were having a love affair with the 50s. Frankie Valley was not a current act. This was a throwback act. This was a comeback for them. They were popular in the late 50s and the early 60s. Early 60s are always kind of considered part of the 50s because of the innocence. The nastiness hadn't begun yet. But this song, which was clearly about losing your virginity, by the way, speaking of muskrat love, was a huge hit, a huge hit. Oh, yeah. I it was, I, this actually doing research for this episode, um, answered a question for me. That song has, since I've been a child, has always been one of my very favorite songs. I love that song. I think I always thought it was from the sixties. It wasn't until did. like mm-hmm. two days ago that I learned that it was actually recorded in 1976. So it actually answers a lot of questions of why this song has always, always, always been a really, just a, a huge favorite of mine, probably because I heard it on the radio all the time in 1976. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was not on the oldie station. It was yeah. like number four on the, no, it was one, number one in March of 1976. And I just, the, just like rubbing sticks and stones together and rubbing our bodies together. And then the muskrats with their funny little sounds here are the lyrics that dot did not. I just think this is very poetic, but now I'm like, Oh, this guy is doing it. Mm-hmm. I feel a rush, like a rolling ball of thunder spinning my head around and taking my body under. And as what I recall, it ended much too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the, in the musical Jersey boys, it's really cute. It's all of the four seasons, Frankie Valley and the four seasons, um, songs. And it's, uh, it's one of those jukebox musicals, but it's very cute. It's basically about how they all got together as a group and it just tells their story and they use all their music to tell the story. But yes, when they sing December 1963, it is about one of them singing about losing his virginity. Isn't that funny? Uh, I never would have put. I never. Up on that. I just realized that when I listened to that episode of the podcast, I mm-hmm. again just maybe the romantic in me. I thought it was just about love at first sight. Like he'd mm-hmm. walked into this party and kind of across the room saw mm-hmm. this girl, and then the party ended too soon, and he had to leave. <laughs> like not that his. <laughs> no, he popped off soon. a little too yeah. soon, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> That, but that makes perfect sense. That's how, that's how a child yeah. would think. And then, oh, and the party ended too soon. I have to go home. I like but this. Um, think about, think, go back in time and think about what we were thinking about the fifties at the time. Because in 1976, we had happy days. We had Laverne and Shirley. I was invited to lots of fifties theme parties where you had mm, to wear your poodle mm-hmm, skirt. Mm-hmm. Grease comes out in 1978, whose theme song is also sung by Frankie Valley, who was a throwback artist. Do you remember Shana Na? Mm. Oh, oh yes. Right? Sean yeah. and I had their own TV show. Um yeah, I also loved I loved 50s music, but I Happy Days was my show in, in 1976. Um even if Chachi wasn't on it yet. Oh, I was so into Happy Days. That was, you know, at age at age 7, that was a show I could watch and, and I could remember, laugh at and almost kind of feel like I was watching a grown-up show. Yeah, yeah, for sure it was because it was grown-up situations oftentimes. And do you remember 19, 1976? This is super memorable for me. And I'm just trying to, I'm taking the temperature to see if it was as big a deal to everybody else as it was to me. 1976 were the Pinky Tuscadero-esque episodes. Oh, my Okay, heart. Carolyn just like crossed herself, basically. <laughs> remember the accident, the motorcycle accident? Oh, yes, the yeah, motorcycle accident. Yeah. 
So um, I've always wondered, like, why, why this, why did we have this big fascination with the 50s at the time? And Amy Lively from For the 70s answered my question for me. She says it perfectly. She says, the 70s inherits weariness from the 60s, lots of fussing and fighting to borrow a line from the Beatles. And so we play make-believe with the 50s. And she says, we Gen Xers liked it because it was presented to us as a fun time to be a kid or a teenager. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a fad just like anything else, but the fad was fueled by a mythical presentation of the fifties as opposed to what it actually was. And we can thank happy days for that. But I think her observation that it was presented to us as a fun time to be a teenager. That's what it was for me for sure. And now a pause for station identification. In 1976, the nation was celebrating our bicentennial and people had feelings. They did. You might say they were following the people and conversations they enjoyed and were also rating and reviewing all sorts of stuff that year. The politics, the Olympians, the music and movies. Yeah, and you know they were sharing the things they loved with their friends. Oh, definitely. And now, just like in 1976, we need you to do the same. That's right. Just like Sonny and Cher, if you Wait, like... Wait, Sonny what- and Cher? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Just like Sonny and Cher, Kristen. Mm-hmm. If you like what you hear, please follow along where you listen. If it's on Apple Podcast, just click those three little dots in the top right corner On Spotify, you can't miss it. It's a big follow button under our image. And on other platforms, I'm not really sure, but just look around. And much like you did with Dorothy Hamill, rate us. Please click those five stars, which is a gold medal, by the way, on Apple and add to the nice reviews that are already there. And just like your love for Charlie's Angels, share our podcast and social media pages with friends. It's the only way we know you are enjoying what you're hearing. And do you want to get fan mail? It's super easy. Maybe it's not from Andy Gibb. (gasps) Sigh. But if you sign up for our emails, you'll get super fun Gen X news from the PCPS delivered straight to your inbox. Just go to our website at poppreservationists.com and enter your name and email. Just like 1976. Sure, Michelle. Just like 1976. And now... Back to our show. Let's circle back to, to wacky mm-hmm. songs. If there was a top 10 silliest songs of all time list, I would definitely put Disco Duck on there. Released in 1976. <laughs> Let's just add that to the pile, right? But also, what about Convoy? Super random and hokey, but Convoy was actually a protest song. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I did I not know I learned that this. from Amy on her podcast. Yes, yeah. this is, comes directly mm-hmm. from Amy. Yeah. The gas shortage and the new 55 miles per hour speed limit was getting in the way of truckers doing their jobs. I loved learning like the CB lingo. 
I had no idea what any of this was. All I knew is that I wanted a CB radio. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, I just know that you had one. I just (laughs) know that you did. We did. My stepfather had one in our motor home and we got to use it. And my handle was baby shrimp. And I would, he would let us use it. And I'd be all like, you know, breaker one nine. This is baby shrimp. We got a smokey at mile marker 87 on one nine oh and a plain brown bag out. What is like a little bag? like an unmarked car, an unmarked <gasps> police car. And, oh, you know, like can that. you just picture this little seven-year-old? <laughs> Breaker one nine. And then Breaker he'd let us nine. do the ten four, good buddy. <laughs> and the trucker, the other truckers loved it when my sister and I would get on oh, the, sure. the CB. And then they would be like, you know, hey, they're a little lady or whatever. And it was just really fun. Um, because you guys, CBs were our 1976 cell phones. Or like, I mean, Absolutely. they were walkie-talkies, yeah. but they yeah. were really cell phones because people actually did. The truckers definitely relied on them. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it provided hours of entertainment for my family and buckle up people, <laughs> literally, oh figuratively, God. because we lived only about less than two miles from Interstate 10. That's where our house was. So we could get the CB um, transmissions and everything right in our driveway. Like, that's how close we were. So after dinner, we would go out in the car, the whole family. We wouldn't leave the car. Like, the car wouldn't leave the driveway. We would sit in the driveway. And my dad would talk on the CB radio, and we would just be entertained by the conversations that he would have. Like, you're just sitting in the driveway. Just sitting in the driveway. In the car. The whole family. In the car. The whole family. Because we could get that all up. We were that close. And um, yeah, so that, that's what we did. And then, so I called my mom the other night and I asked her, because I can't remember what my dad's handle was. And she said, I don't remember his handle, but I do remember the handle of our parish priest, Father Domek. <laughs> oh, it, no. Oh, it no. Was, is he the one? Tr- wait, wait, before you say it, is <laughs> okay. he the one that wore Speedos? No, no. That was oh, my Father Angelo. That okay, was good. Father Angelo. Okay, my then you may principal. proceed. If he was the one that wore Speedos, I did not want to know his handle. Yes. No. No, this was um, nice Father Domek um, from St. Bartholomew's in Katy, Texas. And his handle was Charlie Tuna because his first name was Charles. <laughs> So he, my mom couldn't remember my dad's, but she could remember our priests, Charlie Tuna. And so, I, it, why Tuna? Oh wait, I guess because the Charlie, the, the ad, tuna. because of the yeah. ad, the tuna ad, that's chicken exactly of the sea, right. chicken of the sea. Yes, Carolyn, but that's probably one of the most seventies, seventieth, seventies memories I've ever heard in my life. Totally. And I love it so much that your fam—that was your entertainment. Oh my gosh, it was, and it even. Um, translated into my bedroom because we lived so close to the interstate. And I learned um, the FCC didn't have enough channels for all this mm-hmm. CB communication. So before they actually added some more channels out in whatever the world of electronic communication, my walkie-talkie could pick up some wow. of the um, conversations as well as transmit them. So I could be in my room at like nine o'clock at night and I would pretend I was oh. a trucker. <laughs> as long be... as your handle wasn't blonde bombshell, right? you were, you were you probably fine. They'd be like, what yes. is it you had, you know, blonde bombshell? <laughs> but I would lie and say like, 1324 um, because our, our way to get pretty much everywhere was Interstate 10. So yeah. even to get to the grocery store, because we were that far out kind of in the suburbs. And so I knew the mile markers because we'd pass them. And so I'd lie on there and I'd say, Smokey, uh, you know, see. Oh, but I mean, you did? Yeah, but I, oh, my voice Carolyn. was like of an 11-year-old girl. That's I think true. they probably figured out. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a really good point. That's a really good point. Christian and I are like, oh my God, she fooled all the truckers. And she's got this little tiny 11 year old voice. That's right. And she's That's probably so got like Christy and Jimmy McNichol playing in the background. <laughs> right. <laughs> I felt so like I was breaking all but these rules. But that, again, is so 1976 that people would pretend to be truckers. <laughs> on their walkie-talkie from Sears, I'm sure. Pretending to be a trucker, convoy, the lingo, all of it is an example of phenomena that was just exploding in 1976. There were so many phenomena this year. Things that exploded and took hold of every kid in your classroom. Let's start with the Olympics. have been a better year than 1976 for there to be Olympics. Mm -hmm. And remember, friends, that this was when the Winter and Summer Olympics were both held in the same year. We don't do that anymore now. But in 1976, we had Winter Olympics and we had the Summer Olympics. So we start off our National Pride Year of 1976 in February in Innsbruck, Austria, because they host the Winter Games. And Ladies and gentlemen, we were introduced to Dorothy Hamill and her <gasps> hair. Yes. So. I literally just got goosebumps all the oh. way down to my ankles. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. love Dorothy. We love that she won the gold medal. Yep. Yes, that was very exciting. But I think more long-lasting was the hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did either right. of you have a Dorothy Hamill haircut? It was my first haircut. The Dorothy <laughs> oh, Hamill right. was my very first haircut. You got because your Jan Brady haircut that's into right. Dorothy Hamill. Into a Dorothy Hamill. Because if you remember from our Brady Bunch episode, I was afraid to get my hair because I was under the impression that new <laughs> hair grew out of the bottom of your old haircut, like Carol Brady's haircut. <laughs> with the, ski, the jump ski jump at the bottom, the ski jump mullet. That's what I thought would happen if you got your haircut. So it wasn't until Dorothy Hamill that I took the plunge. And that's when we got a blow dryer and my mom would blow dry my hair and it would be all smooth and straight and round like a bowl on my head. It was beautiful. I just think that there was nobody except Dorothy Hamill who could truly have a Dorothy Hamill haircut, not just because that's her name, but because to truly have a Dorothy Hamill haircut, you got to spin. You got to right. spin. You got to yes. spin. Spin, yes. spin, spin, spin. Agreed. So it flies out in mm-hmm. all the little layers. And if you're not Dorothy Hamill, you're not going to spin like that. So it just kind of lays yeah. flat. Or yeah. if you're my hair, it sticks up. That is so <laughs> not Dorothy Hamill. Yeah. Or if you're my sister, you just spin around really fast in our living room <laughs> and hope it happens. But she insisted that it would not happen unless she washed her hair with short and sassy shampoo. Of course. Oh. Wait, yes. I'm just picturing, I'm picturing your sister as the Tasmanian devil. That's how she got everywhere. She yeah. just spun everywhere. Dorothy Hamill introduces the shampoo for short hair, short and sassy shampoo. It makes my hair shiny. More important, it gives my short hair a wonderful body. So fast forward seven months to August 1976. Now we are in Montreal and we are there for the Summer Olympic Games. And these were pretty iconic, you guys. Oh, yes, so iconic. We Still, are, I mean, well, I yeah. guess that's what iconic means. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yes. <laughs> well, we were coming off of our nation's bicentennial high, and the flames of our patriotic spirit were flamed when Caitlyn Jenner, at the time known as Bruce Jenner, and I'm going to preface all of this, you guys, with 
I want to say this correctly. I want to Mm -hmm. use the right pronouns. I want to refer to Caitlin, who was known then as Bruce, Mm -hmm. who won the decathlon. We're working it. We're working it. We're working it. We are learning. When we're referring to 1976, I guess my opinion would be that when referring to 1976 or any time before Caitlyn Jenner made her transformation, my feeling is that we could refer to 1976 as Bruce and use the pronouns him, he. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously now we don't do that, but I don't know if that's right. And I'm going to admit that I'm a little bit ignorant and knowing if that's okay to. Well, and it's hard to know when you're. Um, talking about a news event. It's one thing to be talking about an individual and their individual mm, life, but when you're talking about a news event, because did Caitlyn Jenner win the decathlon? Or did no. Bruce Jenner win well, the decathlon? I mean, Bruce Jenner won the decathlon, but Caitlyn Jenner has always been in Bruce Jenner. Right. Bruce Jenner would probably say he was always Caitlyn Jenner. Of course. She would always say she was always Caitlyn Jenner, but Bruce Jenner got the gold medal. This is very confusing. So this is tricky, but here we go. I still recall that image of Bruce at the time of him running around the track or just holding the American flag and just feeling like, go America. It was just such a perfect example and such perfect timing for that spirit. I never put that together, Carolyn, how it came on the heels of the bicentennial and this six months of being indoctrinated by the shot heard around the world and we the people um, that that moment, the Olympics moment came when we were still bubbling over yeah. with patriotic pride. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that may be why we remember it so well. Do you guys remember the Olympic, um, the Olympic posters you could get at Burger King? No, I we don't. never ate at Burger King. This was big because it was like a collector's item and you wanted to get the right one because maybe uh-huh. this week it was the Bruce Jenner poster, but next week was going to be the Nadia Comaneci poster. And so you had to beg your parents to go to yeah. Burger King at the appropriate time so you could get the appropriate poster. And I did score. I got the Nadia Comaneci poster. I got it. The other iconic moment from the games was the perfect 10 scored by gymnast Nadia Comaneci from Romania. Am I saying Nadia's name right? Is it Comanichi? I, I, I used to I always know. say Comanichi, but I was also, you know, seven. I've heard both. I don't know. And I, I want to say Comanichi because there's an I on the end, but I also hear people say Comanichi. Okay. We'll ask Nadia. Yes. And she married Bart Connor eventually, <laughs> who was a, also a male gymnast. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she goes by Nadia Connor now, but anyway. That would be a bummer if she did. It, it would be. Oh, and remember Nadia's theme? It was okay. played everywhere. Yes, but we're going to. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. You looked at the. <laughs> no, you oh, you were no, done. I'm, okay, cut that. She would I never am forget far Nadia's from done. theme. Okay. I am right? far from done. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. You looked like you settled back. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, I she am. She's gearing up. She's just yes, like, oh, she's gearing up. Okay. That's right. She's, okay. <gasps> okay. Yeah. We'll strike that and okay. you will continue. Okay. So, this was the first perfect 10 scored by an athlete in the Olympic Games. And because the scoreboard only displayed three digits, when her score was shown, it showed as 1.00. Oh my God, I did not know this. Isn't that crazy? I guess they never expected anyone to get a perfect score. And she ended up earning three gold medals in the games. Wow. It was amazing. And obviously, because we remember, the world was mesmerized by her Mm -hmm. perfect performance. Mm -hmm. And she was solidified as a forever piece of our pop culture memories with the song, Nadia's Theme. Nadia's 
played the piano in 1976, <laughs> learned how to play Nadia's theme. Mm-hmm. Right. Surprisingly enough, you didn't learn it before that because it was originally written in 1971, the soundtrack for Bless the Beasts and the Children. It was just kind of an instrumental in the background. And then it was rearranged a little bit. And in 1973, was used as the theme for The Young and the Restless. Oh, that came first? That came first. Oh, I thought it came after. I did too. I did too. But no, it wasn't until a montage of Nadia's performance during the Olympics on the ABC Wide World of Sports, where they played, at that time, the song was called Cotton's Dream. That was the name of it from the soundtrack. They played that underneath the montage of Nadia's performances, and the public went crazy. They reached out to ABC, what is the song? Tell us the name of it. Where can we find it? A&M Records, who had the rights to Cotton's theme, thought, hmm, lots of interest. Let's release it as a commercial song. Let's change the name to Nadia's theme. They released it on August 26th, 1976. It was on the Billboard charts for 22 weeks. Oh, my gosh. Peaking at number eight. And you guys, Nadia Komenich never performed to Nadia's theme. No. Oh, it was just from a recap. It just what was from the recap. What a little marketing and PR can do for you. you that is that amazing, right. though, but it comes from outcry, too. So these mm-hmm. people who are watching the wide world of sports are so moved by the combination of Nadia Comaneci and this mm-hmm. song that they make phone calls. Exactly. Right? That's a good example of how the collective drives culture. So they didn't give us that. We asked for it, mm-hmm. right? The people at Wide mm-hmm. World of Sports weren't looking for a hit song. They were, they were no. just like, grab me a piece of music. Get right. that mm-hmm. thing from the soap opera. <laughs> and it becomes a huge hit. Yes. I just remember my memories of Nadia. I'm, I'm clearly watched it on television. I don't remember that. I just remember for months playing on my swing set. And singing Nadia's theme as I swung on my little trapeze bar, probably just oh with my, my knees up, but I was obviously a world-class gymnast. So how, how would you sing it? Because there are no lyrics. You just go, you just hum it. And then I would get really into that. That was probably my big dismount. Did you guys have a pet rock? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I had the official pet rock, but I think I You just go in your backyard and pick one up. Yeah, that's true. Some eyes on it. Um, so the pet rock was I got one. I got one for my birthday in March of nineteen seventy-six when I was Yes, I did. And it was ever so exciting. But I seriously expected it to do something. I was so confused. I didn't understand this abstract concept of this rock was supposed to be a live pet. I mean, I really thought I was going to open the box with breathing holes in it, and I was going to take it out, and it was going to say hello or something. You had issues with that, though, Kristen. Don't I really forget. did. I know. <laughs> Abstract thinking was difficult for me. And, and it came with a little manual on how to take care of your pet rock, and it had all these jokes and puns about mm-hmm. your pet rock like it was a live pet. And I just remember reading it going, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, this is not, no, no, this is true. Did they all look different, or did they all look the same? No, they were all different. The they were all different. They were, rocks. they were actual rocks. Yeah. They were, I know yeah. they are, but like, were they all basalt rocks or were they all the same oh. type of rock? Like, were they all, you know? I, what I recall is that they all had the same hue. <laughs> yeah. Because they were rocks. <laughs> 
But I don't know if they were manufactured rocks. No, were they, they were not manufactured. Rocks? I didn't they get were one. Actual. I think I just made one. I don't think yeah. I wanted one. I mean, if I couldn't feed it baby food and it pooped out in its <laughs> pretend diaper, well, I, I didn't thought want it, it might. I thought I might have to feed my rock and it might poop, but well, nothing happened. I remember so I decorated. Weird. I mean, it, my pet rock had a really fancy, smashy bed bedroom. It had a beanbag oh. in it oh, and everything. Oh, lucky. Well, I made that. It was like all in a shoebox, but yeah. it, and yeah. I put some grass in there, but it it had some nice decor that surrounded it, but I didn't expect it to poop. The whole thing lasted like six months at the most. They came out um, in 1975 at the end of 1975, and they had a huge, huge batch of sales right around Christmas time. By the time it got to my birthday in March of 1976, the fad was already dying, oh. and they were discounted on the shelves. So I may have gotten one of the last pet rocks, so maybe that's why <laughs> mine was so inactive. He was kind of wearing out. Um but they sold over 1 million pet rocks. Oh, my gosh. And they were $4 each. So this guy became a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. That is definitely going on the Instagram during 1976 week. Oh, um, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about just a flash, just a tiny mm-hmm. flash that burned like fire through our classroom. Yeah. I turned seven years old in 1976, mm-hmm. so I was in my sweet spot with all the toys. And Mm -hmm. I told you guys in our Christmas episode back in December of 2020, that at the top of my Christmas list in 1976 was Stretch Armstrong. You remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got him. Um, Okay. So Holly Hobby, Holly Hobby actually launched in 1975, but really gained popularity in 1976. The rag doll, Holly Hobby. I had Mm -hmm. the doll. I had the rag doll. I had Mm -hmm. the lunchbox. I had a Holly Hobby wallpaper. And I had, um, and I had my denim shirt with the Holly Hobby applique on the Mm -hmm. back. Carolyn had that too. I did. Mine was painted though. Mine was hand painted. mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, the bionic woman, Jamie Summers Barbie doll, oh, with the oh, little yeah. plastic part, you took off her leg and you could see the little you could bionic look inside part and inside. see the mechanism mm-hmm. inside. That was cool. Almost all my friends, though, they would lose the little skin part that you could take <laughs> off. Just so then you couldn't really make her, her just be normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Barbie Star Traveler motorhome and dune buggy was a big deal. Oh, the motorhome was big. Yeah. That was very cool. Mm-hmm. I did covet that. Yeah. This is when the Weebles Haunted House was released in Mm -hmm. 1976. The Sunshine Family, we've posted Sunshine Family on Instagram several times, and people go nuts. A lot of these toys, you guys, are coming straight from the Sears 1976 wish book. Easy Bake Oven was very big in 1976, and the Holly Hobby version especially, which I still is still sitting in my mom's closet. I've told her I do not want it, but yet it still sits there. Um, do you remember the little Pepsi machine that you could put the <gasps> two in and then the it came out? Yep. And, it, and you got the little tiny waxy mm-hmm. cups with it. Here's something that people got for Christmas in 1976 that I think blows them all away. And that is, I can't even believe that this was a gift, that this is the kind of thing that people would give it gifts as gifts. But they did. The Farrah Fawcett poster. Oh, and not just boys, girls too. Here's son, here's some nipples. Yes, totally. I know. Like, isn't isn't that funny? Here's your stocking. Yes, yeah, but sure. it's only because the parents wanted, I think I've said this before in our eight mm-hmm. is enough episode. It's only because the dad wanted the excuse of giving it to the son so the son would put it on his wall so the dad could go in and look at it. I'm going to go have a talk with son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to read bedtime stories yes. tonight. Oh, I'll do stories oh, tonight. Honey, you're fine. I'll go do take stories. a bath. Yeah. But I had lots of girlfriends who had that poster on their wall too. She was an icon, not just for boys, but for girls too. She was, I mean, could she be the most beautiful woman who ever lived? I think it's possible. 
I will say something about that poster. Even mm-hmm. though, yes, the nipples were shown through her swimsuit, I think it's a very tastefully done poster. It's not overtly sexual. No, I don't think so. And she was instructed to be overtly sexual. They were like, we'd make this sexy. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want, fellas. Back off. And maybe that's one of the huge appeals of that poster is that it's not overly sexy. Is Mm -hmm. that, that it's very sexy, Mm -hmm. but almost just in a, I'm just going to sit here in this swimsuit, this one piece swimsuit type of way. It might be the difference between sexy and sexual. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's deep. So this is, um, this is a really interesting story to me. So this, this poster was shot in her own backyard the backyard she shared with, um, with Lee Majors. And it's, this was before Charlie's Angels. All of this time seems to smash together and we associate the poster with Charlie's Angels, but really this is before she was on Charlie's Angels. And the owner of the poster company had never heard of her before, but called her after his neighbor told him that his teenage son was buying women's magazines so he could look at this girl in shampoo ads who was Farrah Fawcett. Mm. So the guy is like, hey, she is kind of a looker. Let's put her on a poster. They wanted her to wear a bikini. She refused to wear a bikini because she has a scar on her stomach. She always wore a one piece because of this scar. And so when she refuses to wear the bikini, she just goes inside inside and gets a red swimsuit from her own closet. So that was her swimsuit. Wow. And... Like you said, it's not overtly sexual at all. I think the headlights are famous, and that certainly helped. But there's nothing that can be done about that. She's not making her nipples poke out. And there was a rumor that still flies around that you can see the word sex written in the highlights of her hair. I remember that rumor. Not in the headlights, in the highlights. Have you seen it? Have you looked for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can show it to you. Oh, oh, I'm going to wow. go back and look. I mm-hmm. don't know that. I, don't I mean, you have to stretch story. your imagination a little bit, but if you do, you can see the word sex. So it's sort of like this thing that is not overtly sexual, but it's inviting people to think about sex. Do you know where that swimsuit is now? Where? Um, no. I don't say it's in the Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Yes. Oh, it's I, in the Smithsonian. That, 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 I think it's earned its place in the Smithsonian. It is in the Smithsonian's collection of culturally significant objects. Like Fonzie's I mean, leather jacket. Like yeah. Fonzie's leather jacket. If Fonzie's I mean, leather jacket has a place in the Smithsonian, then I say that red swimsuit deserves I one agree. as well. I agree. No matter what your opinion of it is, it yeah. took hold of the culture. It did. So the poster earned $12 million. She earned $400,000 in royalties, which was way more than the Mm -hmm. $5,000 a week she earned on Charlie's It's interesting you say that she never wore Mm -hmm. a two-piece bathing suit because I was just looking at a poster that had Charlie's Angels on it, which, by the Mm -hmm. way, debuted in 1976. And it had Farrah and Jacqueline Smith and Kate Jackson. And Jacqueline Smith is in a bikini. Um, and Farah, I think she's just in a kind of a regular-ish outfit. And I remember looking at it thinking, I wonder why Farah wasn't in the bikini. Huh. And now that makes a little bit more sense. Okay, so what else were you guys watching on TV in 1976? Well, other than Happy Days, I was all about Donnie and Marie. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. I'm a little bit of Memphis and Nashville. With a little bit of Motown in my soul. Did you guys watch the Donnie and Marie show? Oh, yes. Religiously. 
So the Donnie and Marie show premiered on January 23rd, 1976, and Donnie was only 18 and Marie was just 16. Wow. She was 16 years old? Yes. And if you do go back and watch on YouTube, she's precious and has so much confidence, but she looks so much older. And I think it is her confidence that makes her seem so much older than 16. Yeah. Um, Yeah. At 18 and 16, they were the youngest duo to ever host their own variety show. Wow. Wow. And it always opened my favorite part was that ice skating. They always mm-hmm. opened with ice skating oh, and they're good. Right. Yeah. They're like really good ice skaters. Mm-hmm. They poked fun even at their squeaky clean image a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one time Donnie was singing a song and in the lyrics, it said wine and whiskey and they changed it to milk. I think that's really cute and it's really smart and it's reading the culture because don't you think that their squeaky clean relates back to our fascination with the 50s when they thought everything was so innocent and mm-hmm. fun? And you can sort of contrast that with maybe something like Sonny and Cher, which kind of had this sexually charged energy. And mm-hmm. then let's have Donnie and Marie instead as we move into 1976. Mm-hmm. I will never be able to get the iconic image of it's the album cover. It's the dolls of the pink and purple chiffon Mm -hmm. outfits that they were wearing. That's always Mm -hmm. what I will picture Donnie and Marie Mm -hmm. in forever and ever. So iconic. And Mm -hmm. speaking of iconic and what our podcast is all about, these pop culture nuggets. When I was in college, we had a party. Um, and it was a themed party and it was opposites attract. And I took Andy and we were a little bit country and a little bit <gasps> rock and roll. Good for you. And Dark, everybody knew what we were. Yep. Everybody knows you didn't have to explain yourself nope. to anybody. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, okay. So real quick, I want to give you a list of the other shows that premiered in 1976 that we were all probably watching. You guys, this was a great, great year for television. Mm, bring it on. I want to hear. That debuted in 76, you're saying? Debuted in okay. 1976. We right. have Alice. Oh, I love that show. We have What's Happening. <gasps> hey, hey, hey. I know. Laverne and Shirley. That was in 1976. 1976, yep. Wow, I would have The Bionic Woman oh, was 1976. Yes, oh, yes, please. <laughs> Please let Jamie Summers marry Steve Austin. <laughs> so they can have bionics. Yes, bionics. Yes. Um, oh, they're going to say bionic babies. Okay, that would be we've fun got too. another really good one. Three's Company. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's Company too. Family premiered in 1976. Wow. It's all the shows. I know. The Muppet Show premiered in 1976, you guys. Okay, hold on tight, because we've got two coming up that's going to blow your minds. Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. (gasps) From the Croft Super Show. And the Croft Super Show, both premiered in 1976. Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. I was was very confused about... Electra Woman and Dinah Girl, because I didn't know if they were mother and daughter or sisters, and I needed to know. The they newspaper. were just coworkers. I didn't understand. And you didn't mention anything that wasn't meaningful to me. You didn't right. mention a single thing where I was like, eh, or I don't totally remember agree. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the news was on TV also at the time, um, because in those days, we only got our news from two sources. You watched it on TV or you read it in the newspaper, but it was only on twice a day. But you didn't carry it around with you in your pocket. 
So you didn't read the news all day, every day. It was just these two places. And also seeing it through a child's lens means you may remember stuff, very specific things for very childlike reasons. And maybe you didn't understand the bigger stories. So for instance, I was terrified of Son of Sam. I was afraid Son of Sam was going to leave New York where he had a job as a serial killer and he was going to come to St. Paul, Minnesota and he was going to climb in my window and he was going to kill me. I do remember the election. Yeah, the presidential because election. Because my mom was a huge Carter supporter. Uh-huh. And my sister and I had these little uh, t-shirts that said, vote for Jimmy Carter, that I'll post a picture on on social media because my sister still has hers. So I remember Jimmy Carter. I remember the peanut farmer. I remember Amy mm-hmm, Carter. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yes, because I Amy was exactly Amy my age. Mm-hmm. So that was huge. I thought we were going to be friends. I, yes, I wanted to be friends with Amy mm-hmm. Carter. It's probably the first election that a lot of us remember. Mm-hmm. And in my third grade class, I voted for Jimmy Jimmy Carter, and I was under the impression that I actually voted for Jimmy Good for Carter. You. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that my vote counted. I was like, oh, here's my ballot box. I'm voting mm-hmm. for Jimmy Carter. And we had a and the fact that he was a peanut farmer, I think, just really like <laughs> translated yeah. to children. He yeah, seemed like he a really normal. nice, like yeah, he was a nice guy. Whereas Gerald Ford was super boring and looked like a grandpa, and that didn't translate to us at all. Also, Jimmy Carter, I mean, he was a dad for us at that age. He was. They had a really lovely little family and a wonderful, they were wonderful parents, and their daughter was very happy. And it was just, it was sort of idyllic that that could happen, that you could become, you could have just a young daughter and be a dad and be president. And that was very appealing. I remember um, all of that, but I also remember uh, Jimmy's brother, Billy. And Billy was kind of the black sheep, it seemed. Billy Beer? Yeah, and Billy Beer, Mm -hmm. and he was maybe going to bring him down. Mm -hmm. But he still loved his brother, Billy, which I think that was really sweet. Yeah, he didn't try to distance himself from Billy. He was like, wing. (laughs) Okay, so at the end of the 1976 episode of For the Record, the 70s, Amy gives us the top 10 songs on July 4th, 1976, Our Country's Bicentennial. And that top 10 actually explains a lot for me and tells you a lot about where we were at the time. So I'll give you just a few and you'll see what I mean. In the seven spot, number seven, Get Up and Boogie by Silver Convention. That's right. Get up and boogie. Get up and so disco was no longer confined to the soul or R&B charts. It's starting to come into the top ten. Number five was Shop Around by Captain and Neil. You better shop around. Uh-huh. You better shop around. Which is a throwback. That's a 1961 song Mm -hmm. from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. So we've got our 1950s love going on again. Uh, Number two, Afternoon Delight. Silly, (laughs) silly. And the number one song in all the land on July 4th, 1976 was Silly Love Songs by Paul McCartney and Wayne. Silly. You know what's interesting? Think about so Sean Cassidy's first album is all covers of yeah. basically a fifty songs. Mm-hmm. Leaf Garrett yes. is yes. singing Surfing USA and he's singing a totally. lot of covers. So this all the music even is just so indicative of the nineteen fifties that we, we were, we were so in love to. with it. We mm-hmm. were so in love with it. And so um 
Paul McCartney's song is very meta because it is a silly love song, and it is a clapback to John Lennon, who was dissing him for not talking about serious things in his music. Mm. And you're just doing silly love songs, man. And so Paul McCartney was like, damn right I am. And the truth is, Paul McCartney was reading the room. He was reading the crowd correctly. Number one, he's on the charts. John Lennon isn't. But it was like, we didn't want serious things in 1976. We needed to relax and just ignore all the shit that came before. So my theory about 1976 is that it was all about what we wanted America to be, what we wished that it would be. With no more death and destruction and unrest and scandal, we just wanted the baseball and apple pie part. We wanted small town celebrations. We wanted silly love songs. We wanted to forget about Watergate and Vietnam and just go to Mayberry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We wanted Donnie and Marie on ice skates and with a balloon drop at the end of every show. Yes, Mm -hmm. we did. So thanks for going back to 1976 with us today. If you're sick of the news, I suggest you make yourself a 1976 playlist and watch some happy days. (laughs) Good idea. And join us next week when we'll be saving John Denver's portrayal of a grocery store manager who drives an AMC Pacer and meets God, a.k.a. George Burns in the 1977 movie, Oh God. That's right. That was a good one. Are we? And we're also going to talk about some other 77 movies. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. It was a great Fun. year. And also make sure you are following where you're listening and sharing the podcast and the love on social media. We are at Pop Culture Preservation Society. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of those Regal Beagle regulars, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song